Are you ready to level up the podcast for leaders, entrepreneurs, and business with your hosts, Jose Medina and Crystal Garcia? It's time to level up. In war, you are forced to see humanity at its absolute worst. And you are also blessed to see humanity in its most glorious moments. War teaches you about sorrow and loss and pain. And it teaches you about the preciousness and the fragility of human life. And in that fragility, war teaches you about death. But war also teaches you about brotherhood and honor and humility and leadership. And unfortunately, war teaches you the most when things go wrong. And for me, one of the most impactful lessons that I learned from war was in the spring of 2006 in the city of Ramadi, Iraq, which at the time was the epicenter of the insurgency, where brutal and determined terrorists ruled the streets with torture and rape and murder. And it was in one neighborhood of that city during an operation that I was in charge of when all hell broke loose. We had multiple units out on the battlefield fighting the enemy. We had friendly Iraqi soldiers, we had U.S. Army soldiers and U.S. Marines, along with small elements of my SEAL team. And then the fog of war rolled in with its confusion and chaos and mayhem and with its gunfire and enemy attacks and screaming men and blood and death. And in that fog of war, through a series of mistakes and human error and poor judgment and Murphy's Law and just plain bad luck, a horrendous firefight broke out. But this firefight, it wasn't between us and the enemy. This firefight, tragically, was between us and us. Friendly forces against friendly forces. Fratricide. The mortal sin of combat. And the most horrific part of war. And when it was over, 
and the fog of war lifted. One friendly Iraqi soldier was dead. Two more were wounded. One of my men was wounded. The rest of my seals were badly shaken. And it was only through a miracle that no one else was killed. And it was reported up the chain of command what had happened. That we had fought and wounded and killed each other. And when we got back to base, things didn't get much better. There was a message waiting for me from my commanding officer. And it said, shut down all operations. It said that the commanding officer, the master chief, and the investigating officer were inbound to my location. And they told me to prepare a debrief to explain exactly what had happened on the operation and what had gone wrong. Now, I knew what this meant. It meant that somebody had to pay. It meant that somebody had to be held accountable. It meant that somebody had to get fired for what had happened. So, I began to prepare my debrief. And in it, I detailed every mistake that was made and who made it. And I pointed out every failure in the planning and the preparation and the execution in the operation. And I pointed out who was responsible for that failure. There was plenty of blame to go around. There were so many people that I could incriminate with guilt. But something wasn't right. For some reason, I just couldn't put my finger on who was at fault and who specifically I should blame for what had happened. And I sat and I went over it again and again and I struggled for an answer. And then when I was about 10 minutes from starting the debrief, that answer came, and it hit me like a slap in the face. And I realized that there was only one person to blame for the confusion, only one person to blame for the wounded men, and only one person to blame for the dead Iraqi soldier. And I knew exactly who that person was. And with that knowledge, I walked into the debriefing room with my commanding officer, and the master chief and the investigating officer were sitting there waiting for me along with the rest of my men, including my SEAL that had been wounded who was sitting in the back of the room with his head and his face all bandaged up. And I stood up before them and I asked them one simple question. Whose fault was this? One of my SEALs raised his hand. And he said, it was my fault. I didn't keep control of the Iraqi soldiers I was with. And they left their designated sector, and that was the root of the, all these problems. And I said, no, it wasn't your fault. And then another SEAL raised his hand and said, it was my fault. 
I didn't pass our location over the radio fast enough so no one knew what building we were in and that's what caused all this confusion. It was my fault. And I said, no, it wasn't your fault either. And then another SEAL raised his hand and he said, boss, this was my fault. I didn't properly identify my target and I shot and killed that friendly Iraqi soldier. This was my fault. And I said, no, this wasn't your fault either. And it wasn't yours or yours or yours, I said as I pointed to the rest of the SEALs in the room. And then I told them that there was only one person at fault for what had happened. There was only one person to blame. And that person was me. I am the commander. I am the senior man on the battlefield. And I am responsible for everything that happens. Everything. Uh, those are some uh, powerful words from uh, Jocko Willink. Very uh, powerful. Yeah, former Navy SEAL, um, author of Extreme Ownership. And um, I want to welcome our listeners back to another episode of Level Up. Today, we're going to be discussing extreme ownership. All right. Um, this is uh, one of my personal favorite topics to talk about. Definitely one of my top values. And I'm sure it's also one of Crystal's as well. So last week, we discussed the art of being a gold digger, how we set and tackle goals with the swiftness. I want to read an excerpt from the book Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink, which is who you just heard, and Leif Babin. And it reads, Of the many exceptional leaders we served alongside throughout our military careers, the consistent attribute that made them great was that they took absolute ownership, extreme ownership, not just of those things for which they were responsible, but for everything that impacted their mission. These leaders cast no blame. They made no excuses. Instead of complaining about challenges or setbacks, they developed solutions and solved problems. They leveraged assets, relationships, and resources to get the job done. Their own egos took a backseat to the mission and their troops. These leaders truly led. That's pretty good. Um, you know, very good. What resonates with me is is uh, you, you know you talked about uh, where you said these leaders cast no blame; uh, they made no excuses. And I think that's a that's a really powerful statement in terms of uh, leaders being able to own their responsibility um, in a process or you know in a mission or in an operation, uh, and not turn around and, and say, oh, the reason why we didn't succeed is because Bob didn't do his job. You know Absolutely. what I'm saying? What does extreme ownership mean? Um, the definition for extreme ownership is the practice of owning everything in your world to an extreme degree. It means you are responsible for not just those tasks which you directly control, but for all those that affect whether or not your mission is successful. Whether or not. Huh? Absolutely. Incredible, man. What are your thoughts on that excerpt concerning extreme ownership? I think it's very powerful when you say these leaders cast no blame. Uh, they made no excuses. Um, that's really telling. You know, I've worked in different places where, you know, leaders don't take responsibility. And it's extremely, Absolutely. extremely disappointing. A lot of times you go into a board meeting or a command and staff like we had in the military. 
And the, the goal is to point the finger at someone to say, oh, this is the reason. That person is the reason why the mission didn't succeed. Uh, and, and Jocko Willink spoke about it on his, on his TED Talk, the audio clip that we heard a little bit earlier, where he said, you know, he walked in and everyone in the group was saying, hey, it was me. I'm the one who caused the mission to fail. I'm the reason why we had fratricide and blue-on-blue engagement. And he said, no, it's not your fault. It's not your fault either, and it's not your fault. Ultimately, it is my fault. It is my responsibility for the success or failure of this mission because I'm responsible for the overall mission. You know what I'm saying? And that doesn't take away from the individual who may have failed in his particular right. you know, objective or his particular task. That may be that may be true. He may have failed in his particular task, but overall right. it was the responsibility of the leader. Absolutely. At every level you want for um, individuals to take extreme ownership. And that's an example, you know, saying, hey, you know, it was me. That was my fault. That's, you know, taking taking ownership of of what is in your control and maybe not in your control, but in in your area of operation, so to speak. It's definitely good to hear that that people were doing that. You know, you can kind of find yourself sometimes in different areas of your life and especially in work where you can even find yourself saying, oh, well, the person before me did X, Y, Z, and that's how come I can't do this or I can't do that. I think that exercising extreme ownership is a good indicator of your success, you know, moving forward in any organization and in life period. If you can exercise extreme ownership, you're going to be successful, man. Yeah, you just are. There's nothing more disappointing to me as a leader when I have a subordinate leader who comes to me and says, hey, this didn't get done. Right. Or or says, oh, I can't do this because of, you know, this other person or this, the, you know, this this obstacle. You know what I'm saying? Right. As, as a leader, it's my expectation that when I delegate a task to a subordinate leader that he is capable, you know, obviously I put him in that position because I, because they're capable, capable. they're capable, right? right? So to give someone a task and then to have them come back to you and say, oh, I can't because is, is extremely disappointing and speaks to their ability to accomplish the task. You know what I'm saying? Um, And it lacks ownership. It has a lot to do with, you know, coming up with the solution that you need in order to, you know, to to do what you need to do. But also, because not finding a solution is much easier. Yeah, well, <laughs> For yeah, <sure. laughs> yeah, and 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 a lot of times you find that those subordinate leaders who still need development or are still struggling in their role uh, don't understand that aspect of it, and so they'll bring the problem back to the person who gave it to them. You know what I'm saying? Say, I, I couldn't get this done, so here it is back on your on your plate. And you know, in my experience, I've had multiple examples of individuals who came up short and rather than just say, Hey, listen, um, this is on me. I didn't do what I was supposed to do. I didn't supervise a task or I didn't double check, or I didn't check in with the individual that I delegated it to. Therefore it didn't get done. And I've been in situations where I'm also tempted to shift that blame to say, Oh, it's because, you know, this person or that person. And, right. and uh, I've got to sit back sometimes. I've had to sit back in different situations, um, you know, in my career where I said, you know, did I do everything 
that I could have done to ensure that this was successful. Right. And what you find is, I would say, 99% of the time, there's something else you could have done. Absolutely. Yeah, there's one more thing that you could have done. You could have, you know, called and checked in. You could have woke up early and, and arrived, you know, 15 minutes earlier. You could have, you know, delegated to a different person who was more capable of, of performing that task. Uh, there's always something else that could have been done. And, and it's really funny that we're having this conversation because I had a conversation yesterday with our, you know, our ops manager. And we were talking about, he's in an operation where a leader has delegated a task, but hasn't given the employees the tools to execute that task. Right. And he was asking me, whose responsibility is that for that mission failure? And my response to him was, you know, it's the responsibility of the first person who identifies the problem, right? right? So the first person who looks and goes, oh, we don't have enough brooms to sweep all these aisles. That's that's the responsibility of that person to, to realize that he can't execute his task and then to come up with a solution to solve that problem. And that solution can be, I need to order brooms right. or I need to order dustpans. Also, I need to inform my chain of command or my, my leadership team that I'm not capable right. of performing this task. So, it, you know, extreme ownership in that situation is is not stopping at we don't have all the tools. It's saying, hey, man, we don't have all the tools. I need the tools in order for me to be able to make this successful. You know, not just stopping and saying, oh, we don't have the tools. So, you know, this is on them for not setting us up for success. Right. Know? And I've been in situations I've been in different warehouses and distribution centers where I'll walk out. I'll, I'll assign a task like, for example, you know, clean up the docks and I'll come out and the docks won't be clean. And in my inspection of the task that I assigned, I'll say, Hey, why didn't the docks get clean? And I'll call my supervisors. And the response will be something like, well, we didn't have enough trash cans, <laughs> you know? Okay. And then, then I have what we call a learning opportunity, right? So, <laughs> all right, so let me, let me walk you through the process. So, so I gave you a task, and rather than come back to me and say, you didn't have all the tools to execute what I gave you, um, you just didn't do it, you know? And I, and, I, and I go back to the conversation that I had yesterday because sometimes a leader can assign a task with an assumption in mind. That you do have the tools. Absolutely. Um, in your mind, you're thinking everything's there for you to be able to execute the, the right. task that I have signed. And it's the responsibility of that next leader or that person who's executing, wh whoever the responsibility falls on to execute, it's their responsibility to come back and say, hey, I, I need some help. Right. Or, hey, I need further guidance. I need further instructions. But that doesn't relieve the responsibility from the leader who assign that task to make sure that it gets done. Absolutely. So so that's 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 the part where me coming out to the floor, walking the docks, seeing that there's still trash there right. and saying, "Okay, I assigned a task and it didn't get done. How did I fail in assigning that task that resulted in that task not being accomplished in the direction that I gave?" Right. Did, was I not clear? Did I did I not give the tools? Did I not give um, enough instructions? Right. Did I not assign that task to the right person? To me, it's like like a relay race. So that leader passes you a baton and says, all right, here, go. And of course, you're, you're both responsible 
for the outcome of that race, right? Even though you might have passed off your portion of that relay race, you're still responsible for the overall success of that of that race. Right. So if on your leg of the relay race, you're having issues, you know, you've got to make it known or your entire team fails. Sure. And you say team, and, and I, I like that concept because, you know, you take it as sports, right? And you know, on a sports team, no one blames any one player for the failure of the team. You know what I'm saying? Right. When they, when they, when the team fails to the whole team fails, yeah, the whole team <laughs> fails. But who do they blame? Who gets fired at the end of the day? It's the coach, right? <laughs> yeah. They look at the coach and they go, "Hey, you're the coach. It's your responsibility to make sure that we win, and we didn't win." You know what I'm saying? Which means, you know, it doesn't matter if the individuals on the field did their job right or they did not do their job right. It's your job to say. He's not performing at his optimal level. I need to replace him. Right. Absolutely. You know? Or we're playing on a field where where it's uh you know it's wet, and I need somebody who operates efficiently in that terrain. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah. and, and that's the same thing in combat. And and we heard we heard Jocko talk about that in his pot in his TED talk, and, and he writes about it in his book. The buck stops with the person who is leading the team. Right. And what you find, this is what you find, and I, I think this is my favorite part of the book extreme ownership is that Jocko talks about the fact that when the leader has extreme ownership, it encourages the, the subordinate. subordinate leaders to also have extreme ownership. Right. And he kind of talked about it in the Ted talk where he walked in and he goes, Hey, do you guys know why this mission failed? And you had multiple people in that room standing up saying, yes, it failed because I didn't do, you know right. what I'm saying? I didn't do this or I didn't do that. And he goes, no, it's, it falls on me, guys. It's my responsibility. And, you know, he walked into a room where he was prepared to be fired. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and sometimes that can be, that can be. Humbling. Uh, hum <laughs> more than humbling. Um, if, if you've ever been fired, you know, it can be a little bit more than humbling. It can be a scary, you know, a scary experience. It can be intimidating, you know, especially when you're a proud person, you've done, you feel, you feel like you've you know, sacrificed and, and given a hundred percent and you came up short. And so it takes a lot to walk into a room like that with your boss and your boss's boss and your boss's boss's boss, you know, uh, and then to say, Hey guys, this is on me. I screwed this one up. And if anybody should take the blame for it, it is I. That's great, man. Yeah. I definitely love his book. What's been your experience with extreme ownership? So one in particular, when I was deployed to Afghanistan, this was my first deployment. Um, I know I talked before about how I wasn't too happy about being in the talk. Well, the job that I was assigned was to be in charge of, of the medevacs for our area of operations, which is about the size of West Virginia. So pretty big. And basically when any of our troops were attacked or even when, you know, we had to, to medically care for the enemy, we would launch, you know, medevacs. And so that request would come up and, and basically what my job was is to ensure that that medevac launched, that it went to the appropriate facility based on the injuries and number of injuries, and that that medevac took place as quick as possible. And obviously that we saved the most amount of lives that we could. And so this one particular night, so I was I was used to working with special forces a lot. So special forces, when they do their missions, and I've got to be careful what I share here, but 
they always have additional resources available at their disposal due to the um, level of engagements that they have. So they always have medical personnel standing by, um, additional aircraft, and they do it so often that they're so well oiled at doing it that they're just really good at what they do. And so um, one night I had gotten a request for a medevac and it was for a soldier who had attempted suicide and he was going to pass away if he was not flown out within a certain period of time. Like that was just, it was a given. Unfortunately, during this same time, air was what we call black. Um, so red is bad. <laughs> black is nobody's supposed to fly because it's that dangerous. Um, and that can be due to visibility, enemy in the area to a large degree, something going on. So just a number of different things. So air was black and already this was a challenge. So I could have said, hey man, we can't get a bird. Sorry, you're gonna have to figure something out. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I can't do that. So I said, let me, we have some all weather birds. I'm gonna contact these guys are a little bit further away, which is something generally you don't wanna do. Um, but I knew that I couldn't launch a bird otherwise. And so I got this all weather bird to come out they tried twice. They did two passes, which is basically um, two tries. By a weather bird, you mean a helicopter that an all yes. All so it's a yeah. It's a, it's the Black Hawk version that the Air Force has um, that's built to withstand certain weather conditions. Gotcha. And also has um, Air Force specially trained um, medical personnel that do things like shimmy down a rope and things of that nature to to actually get wounded and stuff out of areas. So. I contacted them. I said, look, guys, we got this guy. He's not going to make it like he's got it. We can't wait until air's green, you know, amber or red. We've got to get this guy out or he's going to pass away. They said, all right, we're, you know, we're going to try our best. So they tried twice on the second try. One of the birds crashed. Oh, wow. So, of course, this is upsetting. And at this point, you know, like you have this gut wrenching feeling and you're like, is this worth it? You know, what do I do now? And I said, you know what? The special forces guys that I worked with a lot coordinated a lot of medical stuff for their missions. I called him. He had told me at one point, he said, listen, man, if you ever need anything, anything, give me a call. If you're ever in a pickle, give me a call. I said, okay. So I picked up the phone. I said, listen. And, you know, this sounds like this was a, a huge amount of time that's passed, and it wasn't. This all took place in a very short amount of time. So I called him and I said, listen, man, I said, um, the Air Force bird, they just had an accident. They've tried twice. They've told me there's absolutely no way they can get in to get him. We can't keep him alive any longer. And with air red, also roads are red as well. We had a team that went out, a quick response force that went out and got some meds that were needed to keep him alive. And we were running out of the meds so that this was our last stitch effort. And... I sat there, you know, for a quick second and I thought, you know, I think about the parent who gets the news that their, you know, that their family member passed away and I wanted to do everything in my power. So when I called him, I said, listen, man, I said, they're not going to come back out here. Is this something you can help me with? Now, for starters, the funny thing is they don't have all weather birds because they're army. So they didn't have an all, all weather bird. They had a regular black hawk. And he said, listen, man, we're coming. We're going to come get him and we're going to get him out of there. I got you. 
And so they're getting ready to launch. Their birds spun off. They were just getting ready to lift off the ground. And the Air Force says, we're going to try one more time. <laughs> um, they didn't want to be shown up. So um, so they flew back out. He got picked up. And he's alive today. And the reason that, that you know, I bring that up as an example is because um, sometimes extreme ownership takes place, you know, in some of the most overwhelming odds. And so many times throughout that time span of trying to get this guy flown out and to a level of care that could, you know, save him, I could have said, this is too much, you know, no, too much has happened, you know, no, a bird's already crashed. There's, there's, you know, so many times within that all taking place that I could have said, um, this isn't on me, or I've done my part, you know, any of that. And I just couldn't do that. <laughs> I yeah. just couldn't do it. So, have you um, have you ever had a moment of weakness uh, where you blame somebody else for a failure? Yeah, I have. I think so. Um, and I would say I had a job actually on the in the civilian sector when I got out of the military. I took a role, and when I showed up, a lot of stuff. We were getting ready to go through a big inspection. When I started doing a gap analysis on the situation, so much stuff was messed up. Is this when you were um, emergency management? It, it was. Yeah. I think it came out of frustration, but I was like, man, so much stuff is messed up. Like, I'm concerned we're not going to pass the inspection. And after a while, I, I and I'm sure to them, they were thinking, man, she's really kind of passing the buck. And, you know, like, okay, got it. You know, the person before you didn't, you know. And then I started thinking, you know what? <laughs> I can't just say that, you know, hey, the person before me, like, I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that this doesn't fail. So I changed my attitude. Let me tell you that not only did we go from being in last place to first place in a lot of different areas as far as emergency management went, but also we passed two joint commission surveys for the hospitals and clinics, you know, that I was in charge of. That's what happens when you take extreme ownership, when you practice extreme ownership. Absolutely. You know, the time that you spend wasting, blaming and everything else is time that you can spend making it happen. Sure. So uh, one of the things that, um, you know, that I talk about a lot and anybody who's known me for any length of time knows that I say things like um, focus on the solution and not the problem. And that's exactly what you kind of described when you're blaming someone else for, you know, how hard the work is or why you're not further ahead than you should be or why you're not excelling like you think you should be at this time uh, to go back and say, oh, it's because of this person right. or that person. You're really focusing on the problem still. Right. You're not ready for the solution. Obviously, what you found in your story and, you know, the story that you just shared is that once you stop focusing on the problem, you can find a solution. You can definitely find a solution. And you, you did that with the with the Blackhawks when you were downrange as well. Um, and that was a great story. And, you know, sometimes, you know, I don't want people out there to think that, you know, when when you encounter a situation that in in those moments of frustration that it's just completely wrong to say, dang, you know, like, the, you know, the, the person before me kind of set me up for failure. You know, maybe you say it to yourself. Maybe you say it to somebody that you're working with or, you know, whatever. Um, sometimes you need to get that frustration out. Yeah. But you just have to remember that that's a it's a time waster, you know. Yeah. So 
I think the um, the appropriate length of time that you can blame your uh, outgoing person <laughs> is day. three days. Three <laughs> days is the max. After three, three days, days, you own it. It's yours. Yeah. Uh, don't bring up that person anymore. Yeah. He's gone. <laughs> yeah. He's no longer an employee. Quit, um, quit dragging him around. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right, so. Hey, Jose, have you have you ever found yourself in a situation where you know you've um, blamed somebody for a situation? Yeah, yeah, I have. Um, I found my, myself in a moment of a temporary moment of insanity. Temporary moment of insanity, huh? That's, I, I that's what we're gonna call it. I don't believe in weakness. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so my situation happened when I was a medic in the military, and this is just one example. I'm sure I've done it other times when when I when I've been in default mode. Uh, we talked about default right. mode, you know. And so in my situation, I was responsible for the immunizations program for my my unit. I was a medic in the Black Hawk um, uh, squadron, and. In my role, it was my job to make sure everybody was up to date on shots, right? And so I thought the extent of my responsibility was to shoot out reminders and say, hey, your, your, your shots are overdue. Come get your shot, you know? And obviously, um, anybody who's been in the military and spent any time in the military knows that med pros is a big deal. Like, you know what I'm saying? Every, med pros is how they track your medical condition um, and, and track your unit's ability to deploy based on the health condition of all of the unit, all yeah. the, you know, the, the entire unit. And so one of those factors is immunization. So if your immunizations is out of date, then you are non-deployable. And so a big part of my job was making sure that everybody was deployable and everybody had their shots. And so what I was doing was I was sending out reminders to everyone. And of course I was in a unit full of pilots and pilots are notorious for being prima donnas and doing what they want to do. So when my commander came to me, he was upset because we were um, not where we needed to be in terms of med pros. And he said, I was a sergeant at the time. And he said, Sergeant Medina, what is the problem? What, what is going on? Why are we not where we need to be at? Um, this is your responsibility, and and my expectation is that we're at a hundred percent. Yeah. No, no excuses. I really had to sit back and and I had to reassess myself and say, am I doing everything that I that I can do? And the answer was no. I I was not. And so what I did was I gathered my small team together and I said, this is what we're going to do. There is a one hundred percent training session that's going on at the um, at the church on Main Post. What we're going to do is we're going to set up immunizations outside of the door. So whenever they get done with the training session, as they start to come outside, we can grab everyone who's overdue and we can give them their shot. Uh, and so that's exactly what we did. We set up outside and as these as the training let out, we just grabbed people as they walked to the door and said, OK, you are due for a shot. Come over here and get it. And they were shocked. <laughs> that they were shocked that we were giving they were giving shots outside. You know what I'm saying? We set up a little field table and uh, and had our immunizations ready to go. Uh, we immunized everyone uh, there on the spot, updated their their medical records appropriately, and within the next day we were at 100. percent And that's the true act of having extreme ownership. Absolutely. You know, um, there's no excuses. There's no there's no there's nothing that you can't do in order to accomplish that mission and and get that done. So and we did. And that's such a perfect example of real world um, success. It's one of the reasons that the military is so successful at what it does. Absolutely. Um, how does extreme ownership impact uh, leadership, business, and entrepreneurship? I think that extreme ownership is the key foundation for good leadership. I don't think you can have good leadership without having extreme ownership. 
any leader who doesn't take responsibility and doesn't and doesn't <laughs> help, they do suck. Um, but but any leader who is not taking responsibility is is giving that uh, is giving blame is pointing right. blame. You know what I'm saying? And there's nothing worse than uh, going into a meeting in a company that's failing and having the person who's running it turn to you and say. You're the reason our sales is not where it needs to be at. You're the reason why um, our turnover is so high. You're the reason why we have so many safety incidences. Without turning the finger on himself and saying, what is it that I'm doing that's not causing us to hit those key ob- objectives? Right. You know, And it could be something like, maybe you're not giving them enough time. Maybe you're not giving them the right equipment. Maybe, you're not, maybe you're not providing them with you know, purpose, direction, and motivation. Maybe right. that's why. right. And I, I think that's a that's a big part of business. And and um, I've worked in organizations where um, extreme ownership wasn't practiced. It was kind of loosely practiced. Like sometimes I take you know sometimes I take responsibility. Um, and sometimes I point the finger. Uh, and what you find is the culture in those types of organizations is typically toxic. Absolutely, you're going to find that the employees are afraid um, to take risk because they don't want to be blamed for a failure. Sure. The, uh, you want me to tell you how you can tell when a business doesn't doesn't practice extreme ownership? How? If their safety program sucks. If they have a lot of safety incidences, sure. you know that they do not practice extreme ownership. Why do you say that? Because it, specifically for safety, you know, so I'm just going to use um, a warehouse example. So let's say that you've got some forklift drivers who drive around and obviously it's very important for them to be safe because they're driving around people and carrying loads and, you know, they could drop loads or, you know, anything, tip over, um, run into somebody, run over somebody. And so if there's constant accidents, so let's say that all of their forklift drivers are getting in accidents, running into walls, maybe running somebody over, then one, that tells me that Things are not identified, so like near misses are not identified and called out because people are either scared or because safety hasn't been made a priority. Right. And so if if that's not occurring and if people aren't saying, hey, this is my fault or hey, I'm falling short here, then it's going to continue and continue and continue. So I've been in a number of different places where I've seen if their safety's failing, then they lack that extreme ownership. They yeah, lack absolutely. extreme ownership. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. And, and I don't think safety is the only place where that oh, happens. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think yeah. that's a good indicator. But you also have quality issues. You For also sure. have extreme overtime. You have extreme turnover. Like those are all symptoms of a workplace that is not functioning properly. Absolutely. Um, because a leader at some point, a leader in some level of the organization is not owning his responsibility. Um, and not doing the things that he needs to do. He's not looking at those uh, at those issues and resolving those issues. Absolutely. What's the biggest mistake that you've taken ownership for? Kind of scanning back over, you know, my time in the military, I was running the schoolhouse. As the NCOIC of the logistics um, training department, I had multiple senior, I wouldn't say senior, they're, they're mid-level NCOs, they're E6s, E7s that fall under my command. I'm responsible for, you know, making sure that they're meeting the standards and that making sure that they're doing their jobs and making sure that they're, you know, staying fit. But also because of the hours of the schoolhouse and, and the role of the schoolhouse and what we do there, a lot of those individuals are trusted to maintain their own standard. 
They're trusted to do what they need to do in order to, you know, meet meet Army APFT requirements, the the, the physical fitness requirements and whatnot. Um, and a lot of times, those guys are doing. If you're if you've ever been an instructor in the schoolhouse, you do PT on your own. You you, you keep your own physical fitness standards up. Obviously, I do my own physical standards, you know. So, uh, and you try to treat those individuals as adults. When they fail something, then typically there's a little bit more of a structured program for those guys, right? Um, and so in this scenario, what happened where, um, one, I didn't take full ownership was uh, I had a I had an NCO that was getting that had been selected to go to Drill Sergeant School. I knew that her date was coming up. The installation had a program where when you were selected for a a, um, a school like that, a, like like drill sergeant, the standards are a little bit more strict. Than they're the a little bit, standards. yeah, they're a little more strict because they don't want to send anybody to school and fail because that's a career ender, right? Absolutely. So so they want to make sure that whoever they do send is going to meet the standard. And not only that, but as a leader at that level, at the installation level, you get called out for those guys that are that go to school and then fail out as if you're not doing your job. It's a it's extreme ownership, right? And so. My NCO that that I had under me, she, um, you know, she was barely making the cut when we graded her on her APFT. She was a female, but um, when we graded her, she was barely making the cut. She was passing, but just barely. And she always just barely passed. And that didn't raise a flag for me. That didn't make, you know, generate any type of awareness that I needed to be more involved. And so um, I didn't kind of own that, that leadership responsibility that I had to that NCO to make sure that she was prepared and she was prepared to be successful. And so uh, you could just imagine she went to school and she got there and guess what happened? Oh no, she fell. She fell out. And when she came back, guess who has to go see uh, the <laughs> installation command sergeant major? And Her leader. <laughs> yeah, me. And I caught so, on the carpet. Absolutely. And rightly so. Um, rightly so. You know, I was ashamed of myself because... That is a direct reflection of the type of engagement that I was having with that soldier and the type of support that I was giving her as she was prepared for something that was extremely difficult. You know what I'm saying? That's a very and, tough school. And what do you say when, when people say, well, she's a grown adult. That's her problem. She's, you know, that's on her. And that actually, that actually came through my mind. You know what I'm saying? That, that same, that same logic came through my mind. And I said, you know, here's, you know, she's an adult. She should have known better. She should have tried harder. She should have worked harder. You know what I'm saying? And it's easy to, to pass that buck. And, and that's why I say sometimes we fall, we fall into default mode and we say, oh, it's, it's not my fault. It's your fault. You know, it's your fault. You're not on time. It's your fault. You're underperforming. It's your fault that you didn't succeed and you didn't win. But you need to turn that around and you look. You need to look at yourself as a leader who has extreme ownership and say, okay, this employee is coming in late. What can I do to help this employee get here on time? And, and only when you've done everything you can, right? Only when you've exceeded all your limits and, and all the things that you, can, that you can contribute to the problem can you say that, you know, you, know, you failed, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, when I was at, when I was at Cardinal health and I was running the distribution center there in Minnesota, you know, I had an employee that had, um, he was coming up on his points for attendance and I began telling him every day how many points he had said, Hey, uh, you know, you get terminated at eight points. You currently have six, you know? And then the next day I'd say, Hey, you have six and a half. And the next day I'd say, Hey, you're at seven. 
And, and I'm telling you this because I'm I'm trying to own the fact that I need to try to help you be as, as successful as possible. And some people may look at that and say, well, that's a little extreme. But that's what extreme ownership is. It Absolutely. is extreme. And, you know, I, I think a good example is with your kids. You know, if your kid doesn't make it to school, whose fault is it? It's the parent's fault. Absolutely. So I think, you know, when when you have people who are looking to you and as a leader, you're put in a position where you're put in that position for a reason. So you have people who are looking to you for that purpose, that direction and that motivation. And you owe it to them. Right. You definitely owe it to them. Yeah. When, um, you know, when I was, um, I was probably at, at Amazon for about four months and I'd been working the second shift. I was on nights and the, uh, the day operations manager, my counterpart during the day got promoted to a senior ops position. And so they shifted me from night shift to, to, to first shift to assume her responsibilities. And it was a major, a major role in the operation. I was the only person um, that was briefing the GM and the AGM and um, uh, the senior staff. And every morning I was expected to go into that meeting, to that briefing room, and present about 100 different metrics on quality in terms of how we're doing as a, as a business and, and how we're functioning. And this was my very first meeting, my very first one. I had never been in one before. It was my day one um, in, the, in that role. And I went into that meeting and I completely bombed that meeting. I didn't know the metrics. I wasn't prepared. I couldn't answer some of the questions. I just didn't know enough going into that meeting. My boss, he was um, he was a senior ops. He said, "Hey, hey, Jose, I want to I want to talk to you after this meeting's over." And he pulled me into into an office and he said, "Listen, I am extremely disappointed in your performance. And if that is the way that you're going to perform, then don't even bother coming to the meeting." Um, because it's just substandard and it's not, it's not helping. It's not, you're not contributing any value. And, and he laid out a couple things that, that he kind of thought I was coming up short on, like maybe probably about maybe five points where he was like, Hey, you should have, you should have, you could have, you could have done better and you should have done better. And, you know, I listened to him and I think of the five points that he made, he was probably off the mark on three of them. There was just some information he just didn't know or he wasn't aware of or he was made some assumptions. And as leaders, sometimes we do that. And, and you know, that's something that I just kind of let that roll off my back. Uh, and I didn't really focus on that. But there was two things that he talked about um, that he made a point about. One was uh, me being prepared. And then the other one was about my knowledge. And those are both things that I can definitely 100% contribute. You know, those are two areas where I can, can 100% improve. improve, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I took those two bullets of, um, uh, uh, you know, from his statement that he, you know, the feedback that he gave me. And I said, okay, this is my game plan on what I'm going to do to improve and own the position and own the role that I'm in and be successful. Because I could have done, I could have done something totally different. I could have said, well, you know what? You know, he just doesn't like me and therefore I'm not going to be successful here. So uh, here, I, here's my two weeks notice. I quit, you know, or, or try to sh go to a different department that was easier, you know. Um, but instead, I took those two points. I sat down and I said, OK, these are the three action items that I'm going to do in regards to uh, knowledge. Every day I'm going to come in one hour early and I'm going to learn one metric from bottom to top. 
And every day at the end of the shift, I'm going to do a learning lesson, you know, in their, in their training program that teaches me about, you know, one of these metrics. Uh, and I'm going to do that until I know all 100. And I'm going to come in an hour early every day and I'm going to prepare the notes for the meeting and I'm going to research every detail that has to do with that. So, for example, if one of the metrics is um, corrective feedback to an employee and whether it was delivered the day prior or not, I'm going to know to the detail what time that employee clocked in. When did that employee take lunch? When did that employee leave for that at the end of the day? That's a great example. Yeah. Man. And I'm going to tell you, it was, it was extremely difficult. And I would have, my days turned into like, you know, 10, 12, 14 hour days, but it came to the point where there was no way that I would go into a meeting and not know everything about what I was talking about, everything about what was being presented. And there was no other person in that room that could challenge me on any metric because I had dove deep into you know, that, that particular metric and that's extreme ownership. Um, and, and I think that's, uh, you know, sometimes that's the level of, of, um, of extreme that you have to get into to be successful. Absolutely. To close things out today, how can you exercise extreme ownership? Um, you can read the book extreme ownership by Jocko Willink. Um, you can watch the Ted talk extreme ownership by Jocko Willink. And take ownership of everything within your perimeter, not just the things you want to or believe are yours to own. Uh, I want to thank all our listeners out there. Uh, the list is growing. I remember uh, a few podcasts ago, we were talking about only having one listener, and um, I've gotten multiple phone calls uh, talking about the uh, the impact that some of our podcasts have been making on some of our listeners, and um, and we definitely encourage that feedback. Uh, please continue to reach out. We definitely want this uh, podcast to be something that is engaging, allows you to self-reflect, allows you to take the lessons that we're sharing um, in this podcast and be able to apply them in your life in terms of your personal growth, your relationship, and your your business goals, your person, your professional goals, and then be, be able to improve. That's kind of the whole mindset behind leveling up, having an undeniable level up. It's not just a slide, a, a, a little bit of a level up. It's not just a, a <laughs> nudge. You're not stepping on your tippy toes. No, this is a level up that you, you means you're taking it to the next level. You're going from being a, a C player to a B player and from a B player to an A player. Stepping up your game. Stepping up your game. Stepping up your game.